thank you, Lord, for this time in our service where we open our Bibles and we receive from you the instruction therein. Thank you for the life-transforming power of the gospel, what it's done for us who are in Christ. And I pray, Lord, that you'd soften the hearts of any who are outside of Christ today to see this beautiful Lord Jesus, this wonderful Lord Jesus, this life-changing Lord Jesus, and accept him as their Savior today. Thank you, Father, for these moments now, and we commit ourselves to the hearing of the word and the doing of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we paused in our Genesis series to say farewell to Pastor Billy and Alicia, and I appreciate your participation in that in different ways, and trust you'll keep praying for them. Centerpoint Bible Church is meeting this morning as a final run-through, and then they'll begin, I think, four weeks from today, would be September 14th, I can't remember if that's four weeks from today or five weeks from today, doesn't matter, but uh, September 14th will be their first public service on a Sunday morning. Do pray for them and pray for the Hearns as they transition, I know you will. We're going to be away now for a week of vacation, and then the next week Matt White's going to be here, so that left this Sunday, and I thought that we would just leave a gap in our... Genesis series, and so that left this morning for us to just have a standalone message. Last week, we talked about the kinds of people God uses. You'll notice in the bulletin, there's not a title or a text at the message slot as we normally do. I was kind of back and forth on what to do a little bit when it was print time. If we had a message title today, I would call it The Power of the Gospel, simply The Power of the Gospel. Now I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 8, beginning with verse 26, where we'll have a demonstration of that power. And this morning, with uh, being my last message in, until the fair starts, being out of the pulpit a number of weeks now, I want to do two things in this sermon time, message time, really three. Number one, I want to encourage the fair workers. We've probably got close to 40 people between, in our congregation who are trained to work at the Jefferson County Fair. We've been referencing that. Some of you have gone to the Sunday school class. And um, so I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that you can do it, that you can do it with confidence. And I want to encourage you that it's the message, not the messenger, and that there's power in the gospel and that Jesus does change lives. Secondly, I want to encourage us to share our faith a little more. And... uh, finding that spot again here. It wasn't there in the early service. Um, I want to challenge, uh, well, secondly, let me say, I want to challenge anybody who might be here who doesn't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that this morning you would recognize that the gospel can change your life. And believe it or not, it sounds funny right now, but if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, that you are indeed captured by Satan. I'll show you that in your Bible in a few minutes. But then thirdly, I want to ask the question for the rest of us, why is it that we don't share the gospel more readily? If we really believe what it is, why is it that we're reticent to share the gospel? Now at the fair, we have these sticks. Am I on lapel or just pulpit? Pulpit only, okay. Um, We have these walking sticks, and um, 
what we do is we just, as we've mentioned before, we have a sign above a little walk-in booth, you know, the, up at the Jefferson County Fair where you can walk around and you can, you know, uh, look at uh, flowers or a water garden. You can get a hot water heater. You can get wood stove pellets. Uh, there's some other churches that have booths there. It's kind of where the uh, vendors set up. And people walk around eating those deep-fried potato things and cotton candy and stuff. And then they have this little awning tent there, and it says, free walking stick with a message. And um, we've got some chairs set up in there, and that's what we've been training people to do. And people are going to walk in, and they're going to see the stick. And some people just want the stick, so they'll sit down and endure the message for the stick. And we're not going to talk this morning about the ethics of bribing people into hearing the gospel message. Um, I think we have a biblical basis for it to some degree. Um, But there it is. Nobody's twisting their arm to come in if they want to sit down. And our prayer is that God would be preparing the hearts and the minds of just the right people to come in and sit down and be ready to hear the message. You know, the message is quite simple. We have these different uh, beads here on a leather lanyard around the stick. The stick is a nice hardwood yardstick and has our church name and so forth on it, Jefferson County Fair. But any of you who've been around uh, church world for a while, you probably recognize the colors of these beads as from the Child Evangelism Fellowship's The the Wordless Book. And it tells the story of the Bible without words in in this wordless book. Well, we've taken the book page colors and turned them into beads on our little bracelet here. It begins with a gold bead. I know you can't see it real well. It begins with a gold bead, and the gold stands for heaven. Would you like to go to heaven when you die? Of course. And very few people will say, nah. I had a friend in high school that told me all his friends were going to hell and he wanted to go to hell too. And that's probably where he's going, although I tried hard to communicate Christ to him. The dark bead, that's our sin. It stands for the darkness of sin that's blinded our eyes and darkened our hearts and that a holy and righteous God cannot look at us because we're sinners. Ah, but that red bead... That's the great story of the Bible, isn't it? How God, a holy God, reconnected himself to a sinful people by solving the problem himself, by sending his only son to be our, the great King James word, propitiation. To be the one who could remove our sin. Went to the cross and shed his blood and carried our sin on himself so that by grace through faith we could accept that free gift from God of the redemption of the blood of Christ that washes away all sin. And we can enter into renewed fellowship and become God's child that was broken in the garden and will be there in September looking at the the breaking of that relationship. The white bead is next and and that stands, stands for our heart that once was dark with sin, but now it's white and clean, washed by the blood of the Lamb. And then we go on to give them a little bit of literature, especially if they pray to receive Christ, to give them an opportunity to just bow their head right there Admit to God that they're a sinner and believe in their heart that that Jesus died on the cross for their sin and that God raised him from the dead on their behalf and stands in God's presence now on their behalf. It's just a few minutes of a message simply presented, hopefully to hearts that are prepared to hear it. If not, you get your stick and go get some more cotton candy. The green stands for growing in Christ, that we would not just remain the same, but that we're a new creation in Christ. We give them some literature to encourage them to get into a Bible-preaching church, to grow in Christ, and, and to fulfill God's plan for their lives. It's a simple concept, isn't it? 
And you know, if it's really true that when people die, they only go to heaven or they only go to hell, and if this is the only message that we have, then this becomes really one of the most important things about us, doesn't it? And we do it at the fair because there's a lot of people there, and, and uh, the Lord told us to go on the highways and byways. The, the fields were white unto harvest. We're to reach out. But let me ask you a question, those of you who know Jesus Christ as your Savior. Why is it that we don't share it more? If we have the message of eternal life, I'm convinced it's this. Flash this picture up on the screens, uh, Keith. Thank you. Do you remember this moment in history? It's an awful moment. Am I away from the mic? It's an awful moment. And it's the, it's the leaving of Saigon. It's the collapse of, of South Vietnam and, and Saigon to the North Vietnamese communists as they came in. And, and this classic picture... And um, where the people were clamoring, and these are even some of the um, dignitary-type people who had an opportunity to get there. I don't even think that was the average citizen off the street. There were so few opportunities to flee. And I think that's an American helicopter. That, by the way, this projector is, is going bad, and they're working on getting it changed under warranty. That's why that picture's dim. But imagine being that guy. I don't know who he is. I imagine he's been identified And there you are, and this is it. You either get on that helicopter and leave, or you stay, and you suffer whatever remains. And there was a bloodbath after that among the citizenry. And there's that helicopter. Nick Prezi told me this morning that that helicopter seats eight people. I don't know how many people got on it that day. I imagine they maxed it out. But imagine being the guy at the top of of the tower there and the ladder going up, And he's letting people come. And then the pilot says, come on, we've got to go. That's it. And he shoves back the people and he turns and dives on, grabs on, and off they go. That's it. That is, to me, the kind of picture that we need to have in our mind when we think of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That that is our only ticket out of here. Now, it seems pretty comfortable right now. But Jesus reminded us himself that what good is it to gain the whole world and lose your soul? Thank you, Keith. But what good is it to gain the whole world but to lose your soul? If there's only two destinies for all people and one of them is those in Christ and it's eternal life in heaven, in the presence of Christ and the new heaven and the new earth, or it's separated from his presence forever. And the Bible describes that as a place of of eternal torment where the worm never dies and where there's gnashing of teeth. I'm not trying to over-emotionalize this. To me, the message itself is incredibly emotional, isn't it? But I think the reason we're reticent to share the message, the reason we don't share it more is because we've lost the sense of the urgency of it and we've lost the sense of the power of the gospel to change lives. We basically look around our culture and we think people are doing pretty well. But they're not. They're captive in Satan's trap. In Luke chapter 8, if you'll turn there this morning with me for a few minutes, I want us to see this great picture. It's one of my favorite stories in the life and ministry of Christ to imagine what it must have been like to have been there. Luke chapter 8, we're going to begin with verse 26. We have for us here 
a tremendous picture of the power of the gospel. You see, the gospel is not just a few sentences. The gospel is not a slogan represented in some colored beads. The gospel is Jesus Christ. He is our gospel. He is our good news. He is the one who paid our price. It is all about him and what he can do to wash away our sin and make us a new creation in himself to present us to his father as spotless, qualifying us, therefore, to enter heaven. In this passage, we have a picture of what the gospel does to people. It's very dramatic. And we're going to see, first of all, in this story, that Jesus has, quote, unquote, an unexpected encounter with, number two, with an undesirable individual who, number three, represents a very unstable condition And number four, we would conclude, is very unlikely to change. Let's see what happens when he encounters the personification of the good news, Jesus himself. Notice that this message is, this story is couched in the context of that story where Jesus calmed the sea. Remember, he was asleep in the boat. That's verse 22 of Luke 8. And and a big storm comes upon them, and the disciples are so frightened And Jesus stands up and wonders where their faith is. They land on the shore, and that's where we have the encounter with the demoniac that we're going to talk about. And after they leave there, they then go into town, and he raises a dead girl. Interesting, I think, as we'll see in a minute, that this was really not, even though point number one is is an unexpected encounter, I think it was very much by design that Jesus, in rapid-fire order, is showing his disciples early on in his ministry, you want to know who you're running with today? You're running with the one who has power over nature, power over demons and Satan, and power over death itself. Calm the sea, cast out the demons, and raise the dead. What a 24-hour period to have been with Jesus. And so we jump into this story. Listen as I read. This is also found in Matthew chapter 8 and Mark chapter 5, but we'll not take time to read those parallel passages. I'll reference them because it is interesting to, to some of the added detail that we find. Verse 26, Luke 8. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. Just for a minute. There's a spot along that shore of the Sea of Galilee today, I'm told. Some of you may have seen it where there's a very steep bank, and up on that bank there are some caves and tombs. And they really believe that that's probably where this took place. Some of you have seen that. And that's what's happening. They've docked their boat, beached their boat, and it's a steep ground with a cliff, as you'll see in a minute. And then there's tombs at the top. That's where this pitiful man lived. Matthew's account says there was another man. Mark and Luke only mentioned this man. So evidently he was dominant of the two and the one that did the talking or the demons within him talked. When he saw Jesus, verse 28, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, What do you want with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, don't torture me. For Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was chained hand and foot, 
and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. Jesus asked him, what is your name? Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him. And they begged him repeatedly not to order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside. The demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. When those tending the pigs saw what happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside. And the people who went out to see what had happened, and the people went out to see what had happened. When they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. And then all the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and he left. And the man from whom the demons had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, Return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and he told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. Is that a great story? Don't you love that story? This precious, precious man. Well, let's deal with the part that might have hung some people up. It's not the point of our message today at all. That's the pigs. Okay, I want to talk about the man, not the pigs. But some of you are hung up on the pigs and what Jesus did to them. We don't know too much about these pigs. Commentaries speculate that it's possible that they were, uh, there was a black market for pork around uh, Israel. Um, Somebody caught me the other week. That was, uh, what was I dealing with? Uh, A Jewish boy anyway, and I said he might be eating bacon and eggs. And somebody really got after me after, bacon? You know, the uh, Jewish folks don't eat pork. So what are all these pigs doing in there? So some people think there might have been some kind of black market uh, you know, availability, making some money on under the table. People like their ham or whatever. Um, other commentaries suggest that there was a Gentile population that liked to eat pork, and there was a market for shipping out to Gentile populations. I don't know. I don't. I don't really know. It doesn't matter to me. They were there. The Bible says they were there, so I know they were there. What really messes people up is. You got 2,000 of these hogs, it says in Mark's gospel. 2,000 of them. And this is a guy's livelihood, and these demons are there. And let's talk about the demons and the pigs because these are secondary to our point today and the transforming power of the gospel. But what's up with Jesus allowing the demons to go into the pigs? First of all, uh, legion represents about 6,000 foot soldiers in the Roman army. And... Um, We don't know if this man was literally possessed by 6,000 demons. The text tells us that there were many demons. And so the word legion could have been used as a general summary for a whole bunch. We, We talk like that and it's understood what we're saying. This man definitely had issues. And these demons, isn't it interesting, you notice in the story, how they immediately recognize the authority of our Lord Jesus Christ. If we took the time, we could look in James chapter 2, verse 19. And there it says that, that the demons believe and tremble, but yet they're not born again, they're not saved, their sin is not forgiven, they're condemned. The, there's a clue in the story. Ultimately, uh, Peter talks about it. They're condemned to the abyss. 
And we have pictures of that in the book of Revelation as well. They know their doom. They know the Bible. They know who Jesus is. They know the truth. And they renounce it. They've rejected it. And I don't think there's any hope for demons to be redeemed or regenerated. And I think they've locked into their own doom somewhere in the course of time. We don't know a lot about demons. But evidently, they do not like to be disembodied. They evidently like to indwell living creatures. I've told you about being in Malawi and hearing a woman cry out in a church service, a freakish wail, and Yohani whispering in my ear, there is many demons in this area. And he was, he was confident that woman was demon-possessed. I have no idea. As we preached the gospel, she shut down. So I don't know. But these demons could communicate to Jesus He cast them out, and so they were worried that they would head to their doom immediately. They didn't want that, so they must enjoy some sense of freedom. As Satan dominates the world and has these minions as his counterparts. And then these pigs are there, so they'd rather be in an animal than not be indwelling anybody or go to the abyss. We just don't know a lot about it, so don't let it bother you too much. You could study it further on your own. There's other information in Scripture about demons. They are certainly real. I have no doubt that today we experience demonic oppression and demonic problems. As I watch the news or read the paper, look on, the, on my Yahoo homepage, I often will read an article and look at it or look at a picture and I'll say, I just really think that's demonic what's going on right there. It is so evil. It's so wicked. It's so dark. How could it not be? And that's not to undersell the, the power of unredeemed flesh to do wickedness. But certainly demons are at work today. And so they go into these swine by their own request. And then that raises kind of the ethical integrity issue of Christ. Who kind of in one fell swoop ruins these guys business and their farming production. I don't have an answer to that. One commentary suggests that, commentator suggests that, that Jesus was proving to them the hardness of their own hearts. And you notice later they come back and they ask him to leave. We don't want any other industry around here ruined. And I think that is simply light versus darkness, and darkness always wants light to leave. I had high school buddies like that. And we'd be at band camp or we'd be in certain settings, and they would say, Marceau, you better leave. You don't want to be around. Or they would get away from me depending on what they were going to do. They knew I was the pastor's son, and I tried to keep a strong witness, even as a 16, 17-year-old boy. Light and darkness don't mingle, and that's why they look at Christ, and even though they see the transformed nature of this man's life, they say, will you leave our area? Jesus might have been trying to just prove to these people in their sinfulness that they care more about their pigs than they do a human being. I don't know what he was doing, and so I don't have an answer, so don't let it trouble you. Jesus cannot do anything wrong. And I'm very satisfied with the fact that what Jesus did was not sinful. It did not lack an ethic. Somehow Jesus had every right he wanted to. Anybody could make the sea calm down and cast out demons and raise the dead. If he wants to throw a few pigs off the cliff, I guess he gets to do that. So there, we dealt with the pigs. We dealt with the demons. Let's look at the man. I want you to see the unexpected encounter and this is where we make application to the power of the gospel and how it intersects in our lives and how God uses us 
Back to verse 26. They sailed to the region of the Gerizines, which is across the Lake of Galilee. And when Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. Jesus was just traveling. They beach their boat. They get out. They're walking. All of a sudden, you know, this guy comes down at them. In Mark's gospel, I believe it is, it says that this guy is so ferocious and so horrible that people avoided the area. Let me ask you a question. Point number one isn't good theology, is it? Do you think that Jesus ever had an unexpected encounter in his life? Do you really think that Jesus got caught by surprise? Do you think that Jesus didn't know where exactly where their boat was beaching and that this is a part of the seashore that everybody skirts widely because of these crazy guys that live in the tombs that had been such a, a horror to the community that they had gone up there with posses and tried to chain them and shackle them and these guys with their demonic power could shatter the bondage of those, the bonds of those chains and they lived in the tombs. Who knows what they did with the corpses and all that. Just horrible situation. And they didn't even wear clothes. They're broken beyond belief, these guys are. Listen. To us and to the disciples that day, it was an unexpected encounter. To Jesus it was. Now let me show you. I've shown you my power over nature. Now let me show you my power over Satan. He knew exactly where he was going. But notice then how undesirable this individual is. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but he had lived in a tomb. Evidently, by inference, he had lived in a house. Have you ever seen somebody that sin had dismantled and ruined their lives? It's sad, isn't it? Somewhere along the line, this guy had a house. I don't know what led him into this life. I don't know if he purposely opened it up. I don't open himself up to Satan by his own volitional will or if a sinful life one step at a time just took him places he never intended to go to the point where he was so dominated by Satan that he had no more control over himself and the demons totally ruled over him. I tell you, I worry about young people in our world today. Adults too but the kind of music they're listening to, the kind of movies that they watch, the kind of behavior that they accept, they open themselves to sin in ways that they have no idea what they're doing. And when you're only 13, 14, 15, 16, 18, 21, 23, what are you going to be when you're 30, 40, 50 if you live that long? Satan will always take you farther than you wanted it to take you, keep you longer than you wanted to stay, right? powerful reality somewhere along the line this guy left home and he ends up living naked in the tombs you talk about a a picture of a hopeless lost individual and a very undesirable individual who needs Christ not only is he an undesirable individual but he's in in such an unstable condition I've always referenced already referenced the fact that Mark's gospel I believe it is talks about everyone skirting the area I have to think, too, that when I look at a guy like this, I think this guy is totally unlikely to change. What is this guy's only hope? The community doesn't know what to do with him. His family doesn't know what to do with him. He's out of his own mind now in his own sinful nature. The only hope this guy has is Jesus, isn't it? 
It is for the gospel to set him free, for the good news that he has a substitute, that someone took his place, and someone has power over sin and Satan and hell and can set him free. That's his only hope. I want to tell you something, fair people. When you sit in that booth and you have your yardstick and you feel kind of corny, it's like we got our little free walking stick for a, mes- uh, for, you know, for a message. And you do feel kind of funny. You ever notice that anytime you try to share the gospel in a public arena? It always kind of makes you feel funny, doesn't it? That's why Paul encouraged us to not be ashamed of the gospel. He prayed himself for boldness as the doors opened for the gospel that he would not be afraid to take advantage of those opportunities. Evidently, the Apostle Paul himself sometimes struggled in the public arena because ultimately Jesus Christ is despised, isn't he? And nobody likes people telling them that this is an exclusive gospel. This is the only way out, people. The helicopter has landed, and you better get on the helicopter because there's no more helicopters coming. That's this guy's only hope. When Jesus lands his boat in front of this guy's tomb, it's the greatest day this guy ever had, and he didn't even know it was coming. And there's some people going to go to the fair, and it's going to be the greatest day of their life, and they don't even know it. Not because you're so slick at communicating Christ. Not because you can cast out demons. But because that day they will be set free from their sin and the bondage that they're under in Satan. Turn to Acts chapter 26 with me, would you please? And let me show you something. Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts 26. Acts 26. This is that great story of the Apostle Paul retelling his testimony late in his ministry. He's been saved for years. He's been a church planner and a pastor. He's now in prison. He gets a chance to stand before King Agrippa and defend himself that he shouldn't be in prison, that he's just a preacher of the gospel. I don't belong in prison. And King Agrippa is giving him a hearing. And Paul preaches the gospel to him and shares his own conversion, his own testimony to King Agrippa. And you know that story well if you've been around church world on the road to Damascus. The light came from heaven. He was persecuting Christians. He hated Christ. He hated the gospel. And then, bam, the light comes from heaven. He's blind. He's laying on the road like he was hit with a stun gun. And, and then God speaks to him through Christ. Christ himself speaks to him, transforms his life. He becomes the greatest preacher and missionary that ever lived, including David Livingston himself. And Paul says to King Agrippa, the end of verse 15. Well, this verse 15. Then I asked, he's telling King Agrippa his testimony about when God got a hold of his heart. And then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Verse 16, Acts 26. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen of me And what I will show you, I will rescue you from your own people, because they hated the gospel and hated Jesus. They crucified him, tried to get rid of him. And from the, excuse me, the Gentiles, I am sending you to them. Remember, Paul was the apostle to the Gentiles. Peter was the apostle to the Jews. Not that they didn't preach to both. I am sending you to them. Verse 18. Why? Look at this to open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light 
and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Did you get that? Paul, you are now my messenger to the Gentiles. To do what? To get them out of darkness, to get them into light, to free them from Satan's bondage. Guess who's included? Every one of us Gentiles who've received Paul's gospel message built upon the message of Christ. We hold it in our hands. We treasure it. We use it all the time. Who wrote, for the wages of sin is death? But the gift of God is eternal life. Who wrote, for by grace you are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. The apostle Paul penned that under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. That's Paul's gospel message to us today, to the Gentiles, to do what? To set us free from the power of Satan. Listen, you can look around at your neighborhood, you can look around at the Jefferson County Fair, and you can say, I don't see any naked, crazy guys with, with residual of chains hanging off of them, walking around here with, you know, chewing, gnawing on the end of somebody's kneecap. But you better see through your spiritual eyes that our people who are without Christ around us in America today are just as dominated by Satan. It's just a different technique. And they need to get on the helicopter. And the only way their lives will be changed is through the gospel of Jesus Christ. His life transforms us. That's why he gave us his life. That's what these little beads represent. There was an individual at the early service this morning. And afterwards they came up to me and they said, you know, so my wife and I have talked often about this fair ministry and we don't like it. Kind of blindsiding people. People walking in, kind of bribing them with that cool walking stick. I just, you know, Jesus called us to be disciples. Go and make disciples, not just to do this. But he said, after you shared the Acts passage, I kept reading, he said. I guess he didn't hear anything else, but he read down and... King Agrippa, I didn't even note it. Yeah, verse 29. Verse 28. King Agrippa then says to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul replied, short or long, I pray God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am except for these chains. There it is, our permission to share the gospel in a nutshell at the Jefferson County Fair. Some people are going to get saved short, some are going to get saved long. Some need to hear it over and over. Some just the short gospel message. King Agrippa, I don't care if just this one hearing you accept Christ. I just long for you to enter into Christ. Let him change your life. It's a powerful reality, isn't it, that people are under the bondage of Satan? Think about this guy now as we close out. This unexpected encounter that Jesus had. Do you, do you think that God doesn't bring people into your life today and we consider them unexpected encounters when really they're divine appointments? Are you ready for those unexpected appointments to share Christ? How about with the undesirable individuals that you encounter who need Jesus? Do you ever think, get those people out of here. I'm very uncomfortable with those people. Listen, they need Jesus, don't they? in their unstable condition. And even though they're unlikely to change, if you go back to, to Luke chapter 8, you get, this is what happens. 
And when the people come back, what are they? The man is sitting there clothed and in his right mind. The gospel transformed him. It was an undeniable transformation, wasn't it? An undeniable transformation. I like the story that Jim Cimbala, he's the pastor of the Brooklyn Tabernacle in Brooklyn. His wife directs that great Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. In, in, In a book that he wrote, he said, I shall never forget Easter Sunday, 1992. A homeless man was standing in the back of the church listening intently. At the end of the evening meeting, I sat down on the edge of the platform exhausted as others continued to pray with those who had responded to Christ. The organist was playing quietly. I wanted to relax. It had been a long day. I was just starting to unwind when I looked up to see this man with shabby clothing and matted hair standing in the center aisle about four rows back and waiting for permission to approach me. I nodded and gave him a weak little wave of my hand. I thought, look at how this Easter Sunday is going to end. He's going to hit me up for money. That happens often in this church. He continues to think, I'm so tired. When he came close, I saw that his two front teeth were missing, but more striking was his odor. The mixture of alcohol, sweat, urine, and garbage took my breath away. I have been around many street people, but this was the strongest stench I had ever encountered. I instinctively had to turn my head sideways to inhale, then look back in his direction while breathing out. I asked his name. David, he said softly. How long have you been homeless, David? Six years. Where did you sleep last night? In an abandoned truck. I had heard enough and wanted to get this over quickly. I reached for the money clip in my back pocket. At that moment, David put his finger in front of my face and he said, No, you don't understand. I don't want your money. I'm going to die out there. I want the Jesus that that red-haired girl talked about in the service tonight. I hesitated, then I closed my eyes. God, forgive me, I begged. I felt soiled and cheap. Me, a minister of the gospel, I had wanted simply to get rid of him when he was crying out for the help of Christ I had just preached about. I swallowed hard as God's love flooded my soul. David sensed the change in me. He moved toward me, fell on my chest, burying his grimy head against my white shirt and tie, holding him close. I talked to him about Jesus' love. These weren't just words. I felt them. I felt love for this pitiful young man and that smell. I don't know how to explain it. It had almost made me sick, but now it became the most beautiful fragrance to me. I reveled in what had become repulsive just a moment ago. The Lord seemed to say to me in that instant, Jim, if you and your wife have any value to me, if you have any purpose in my work, it has to do with this odor. This is the smell of the world I died for. Well, David surrendered to the, to, to the Christ he heard about that night. We got him into a hospital detoxification unit. We got his teeth fixed. He joined the prayer band right away. He spent the next Thanksgiving day in our home. We invited him back for Christmas as well. I will never forget his present to me. Inside a little box was one handkerchief. It was all he could afford. Today, David heads up the maintenance department at our church, overseeing 10 other employees. He is now married and a father. God is opening more and more doors for him to go out and give his testimony. And when he speaks, his words have a weight and an impact that many ordained ministers would covet. That's what the gospel can do, isn't it? That's what people need. And see, here's the point I want to really stress. 
Not everybody stinks physically, but everybody without Christ stinks spiritually. And only Jesus can get rid of the stench. Not only that, it's their only hope. If we really believe that, then we will start dragging people to the helicopter, won't we? How about you today as an individual? Have you been to Calvary? Have you been washed? Have you had the stench of sin washed away by his blood? If not, today's the day of salvation, the Bible says. And those of us who know the gospel inside and out and hide it under a bushel, it's time to knock that nonsense off, isn't it? If this really is their only hope, and if the gospel really transforms lives, then who cares what people think about us? Who cares if we're fools for Jesus? That's what we're supposed to be. Will you bow with me, please, in prayer? Has Jesus changed your life, friend? If not, write it. Right now, in the quietness of the moment, you can accept that forgiveness. Get the stench of sin washed away. Renew your relationship with God through Christ. It's a gift you can take right now in your seat. Admitting your sinfulness, believing that Jesus is the Christ, confessing him as Lord. You might pray something like this, Father, I admit my sinfulness to you, and I believe that Jesus died for my sin. Please forgive me, come into my life, cleanse me from all unrighteousness, all sin. Why don't you do that today if you're not saved? Go to Calvary, my friend. It's a ship of refuge. Things might look good right now, but one day it's going to be too late to get on board that boat. Get in now. Let him change your life. For those of us who hold the gospel, are we being good stewards of it? Get you a handful of tracks off the back table. Get you one of these wordless book color bracelets. Call Mr. Wayne up and meet him in the evening at his house if you miss Sunday school, and he'll train you at his house on, his, on your own. He'll be happy to do that. Get involved in sharing the gospel. Take a pie over to that neighbor. Do something. Open the doors of the gospel because one day it's going to be too late. So, Father, forgive us for our cowardice. Forgive us for our shame of the gospel. May we be strengthened today as the disciples certainly must have been strengthened that day to have been with Jesus and see what he could do. For those who are looking for hope, would you encourage them? For those who are reaching out to you for salvation, would you give them clarity of mind and heart as they put their faith and trust in you today? In Jesus' name, amen.